Hey, I'm talking to all you football fans who want every live game every Sunday afternoon, but can't get DirecTV because you live in an apartment or big city. Your prayers have been answered. Now you can stream NFL Sunday Ticket on your favorite devices, no satellite required. Get every live out-of-market game every Sunday afternoon. Go online to NFLSundayTicket.tv now to see if you're eligible and make 2020 your best season ever. Pro tip, use promo code THERINGER at checkout to save 15%. It's The Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joined today by Dominic Foxworth, who has many titles. We'll get to those in a second. It is 10 o'clock Pacific right now. Um, we don't know any news that's going to break after this, but right now we're going to discuss this moment in time, this moment in history, sports history. Uh, NBA has canceled its games um, for the next few days at least. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski reports that their playoffs will resume. At least a quarter of NFL teams have canceled practice today. And um, we, we, we broke it all down, and then we got into the 2020 season and then talked a little football. So here's Dominique. Okay, Dominique Foxworth, ESPN analyst, uh, former president of the NFLPA, also worked at the MBPA, uh, former NFL player, University of Maryland star, and Harvard Business School graduate. Anything else? Um, devilishly handsome. Devilishly handsome. I forgot about oh, yeah. that. Maybe the <laughs> most important thing. Um, I want to thank you for joining us. Um, we talked about doing this show last week. And we talked about the topics and I said, we wanted to talk about the future of activism and social justice. And one thing we didn't know is that in the interim, the world would change and sports would change. And I think that what happened on Wednesday uh, will be talked about for as long as there was sports. Uh, the, the Milwaukee Bucks started a movement that led to the cancellation of every NBA game, a handful of basketball, soccer, WNBA games. Um, I think that the excuse me, Adrian Wojnarowski reported this morning that the the playoffs will resume at some point. Uh, at least a quarter of NFL teams have canceled practice today, Thursday, as of Thursday morning. There might be more. There are some postponements. Uh, we don't know what the next couple of weeks looks like uh, from a sports standpoint, from, from from any standpoint, quite frankly. Dominique, I want to ask you first: When you first heard the news about the Bucks, your initial reaction was what? I mean, I was surprised, honestly. It's a, it's a big step, and I think more than anything, I was impressed because it takes a lot of courage. And you mentioned off the top how much experience I had with the union. Uh, a lot of union fights come down to being willing to to not play those games, and it's not always just about money. It's about what you've sacrificed to get to that point and being willing right. to put that on the line to get some personal gain. It's in, it's almost impossible to to uh, galvanize the players in the modern age to do something like that, which is what, what makes this so impressive is they don't stand to gain more money. They don't stand to gain more popularity. They don't stand to gain better pensions or whatever uh, healthcare, whatever the things that we may have uh, wanted to go and strike for would stand to lockout for. They're doing this because they are, I think Pablo Torre made the, the analogy that they are, the country's parents essentially saying you don't get to play with your toys until you clean up the rest of this stuff. And so it, it's a commendable sacrifice for them to be willing to make. When you saw the news that at least a quarter of the NFL had canceled practice on Thursday, the NFL and the NBA are, are different leagues. You have experience right. working with, with both unions. Right. Do you think, and it's interesting that yesterday's movement started four years to the day that Colin Kaepernick took a knee. Do you think NFL culture is changing at least a little bit? As far as as open mindedness towards social justice, I mean, NFL, you, you know this more than I do, but I certainly know it. 
NFL coaches for the longest time have been so terrified of anything that can be labeled a distraction. And that, that's, that's, an, that, that's a catch-all term for anything they don't like. And I'm curious if you think that that the pendulum is swinging a little bit or is the NFL still going to be the, the league most resistant to any sort of meaningful change? Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I, I think you agree with me in that the distraction thing is largely just a, a farce that they use to try yeah. to control to control the players. But I do think that smart leaders, I think they don't look forward to bad things like this happening, but smart leaders, I think, acknowledge that there's an opportunity in that. And there's something to be said for reaching a level of commitment and, and buy-in for a team or a group of players or a group of anybody like that. That level of buy-in, I think, goes up significantly if you feel like uh, someone cares about you and cares about you genuinely. And that's one of the things that you lose in the professionalization of, of sports. And I think most people probably played some sort of high school sport or maybe even played in college or played younger than that. You know what it feels like to be on a team. And you also know what it feels like to have a job. And frankly, the NFL, for so many of us, feels like what it feels like to have a job. And I think there is yeah. so much value and feeling the cliches that we talk about being brothers and being in a family, there is so much value that I think bleeds onto the field. It's hard to measure, but it bleeds onto the field when you believe that you actually are a family and people actually do care about you uh, more than they just care about what you can do for them. What do you think now, having seen the last 24 hours, what do you think this NFL season looks like? Do you think that you know, obviously a lot of players have said they, they will kneel this year. Do you think there will be more interruptions? Do you think there will be talk of, of protesting by canceling a game? Where, where do you see this playing out, Dominique? I think public opinion has changed so much that kneeling seems to have little to no value at this point. Because, like, the point of a protest is to make people uncomfortable. Kneeling doesn't make anybody uncomfortable anymore. Uh, it, it feels like the whole uh, the whole country... And that's the reason why the players, I think, have become a little bit more um, aggressive and ambitious is because they see the tide kind of turning against what what we held as or what we believed was holding it up in the past. And I think the idea of canceling an entire NFL Sunday and the way that the basketball players have, at least for now, put the playoffs on hold like that is a different type of discomfort that I don't know what will happen in this country as scary as that sounds or as silly as that sounds to think taking away football could be uh, destabilizing to some degree. Like if you remember how people reacted to Kaepernick merely taking a knee, the idea that people don't get their Sundays or their Mondays or Thursdays, like I, we'll see what happens. I think it's certainly on the table for the players to decide to do something like that. And I think it's almost inevitable if another person is shot or killed by police officers. I think it's more likely than not that week players won't show up. I think it, it, that that's fascinating. I, I, you said something recently that I found extremely powerful, which is when you're black in America, you cannot be one thing. You cannot be a coach. You cannot just be a player. You're a black coach, a black player, and that the burden falls upon you to fix the the, the problems of this country and and to spell out the ideals of it. And I was wondering if you could expand on that a bit in sports and the burden we put on black coaches and the burden we put on black executives to talk about fixing the process and, and all of that things when that's, that's not really, that shouldn't be their job. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's hard for me to explain it any better than you did just there, but it is just a, a reminder. And I know people get tired of hearing the buzzwords, be it um, white privilege or anything like that, but like, it's a real thing. That's part of the privilege is that, 
there isn't this extra expectation. And I think part of the reason why I say that is because I, I know myself to be responsible for, for um, heaping some of that pressure on the players and that you look at them and you're like, but you're black, you're supposed to care about these issues. But that to me isn't fair. And I, I think the, the fairest thing to do is to recognize that we all are here and we all have responsibility, whether you're a football player or not, whether you're black or white or, or whatever. But the truth of the matter is, white people have a choice and and they have a choice to make when they um, walk out of the house, they can decide whether to engage in some protest. They can decide whether to contribute to some, some nonprofits they believe to be uh, working uh, to improve these things. Um, They can make those decisions and those decisions just aren't there for black people because no matter what you say or, or where you contribute or how you act, you still, experience uh, American society in a different way than, than your uh, white counterparts. As far as tangible change going forward now, you know, obviously the, the, the NBA players are asking owners for certain things for, for commitments going forward with social justice. If you were an NFL player right now, what would you be focusing on as far as commitments from owners, executives from the league? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to, you have to call them to act in the circle that they have the most influence, which is within their league and within their front offices. I, I think addressing those issues is important. And I think it goes all the way up to the top of ownership. Like, I think that's one of the more embarrassing things about the NFL right now is we've gotten to this point where there are not, there isn't black ownership. And uh, I hear people saying that there aren't enough black people that have the money to, to do that. It's not actually true. You look into some of these teams being purchased. So many of them were purchased so much on, on, uh, on credit and not even necessarily yeah. having the full um, ownership of the team. So like if it was something that they prioritized, it would have happened by now. And it's something that they should consider, especially going forward. We don't know what's going to happen in Washington uh, with that team. We'll see what happens there considering another sexual uh, assault harassment uh, claims in, in D.C. D.C. being a, a majority black city would be an interesting place for them to maybe look to. I'm getting ahead of myself, but if a team does yeah. come up, if that team does happen to come up, that'd be an interesting place for them to look to to get some more diversity into the ownership ranks. I, I don't want to paint with too broadly a brush, but having been in NFL locker room, certainly, and having dealt with the, the NBA union, I'm curious if you can spell out if there is any difference between those two locker rooms and mm-hmm. and what that, you know, why this would start in an NBA locker room. Obviously, NFL has followed, but it, the, just the dynamics of both of those locker rooms with, you know, 80 guys in, tra- right. in a training camp now versus, you know, 12 to 15 guys in an NBA locker room and h- how they're different as far as this sort of action, Dominique. Yeah, I think the NBA locker rooms are are star focused to a, to a degree. There's so much power in the stars have so much power and influence. So I think when they get behind something, you really have no choice, but to, as a player, rank and file player, but to get behind it, it's a little different in NFL locker rooms because uh, the root of the sport, frankly, makes it so that it's different because everybody on a football team is playing a different game. If that makes any sense. So like in basketball, everyone blocks, shoots, passes, dribbles, and, and it's a small team. So culturally it, it ends up aligning, even though there's some international players. It's very different in football because everyone is doing something different. They come from different places. They have different allegiances. And you don't really spend time with the whole team as much as you spend time with your position group. So they become these little sex and fiefdoms within the locker room that uh, are strong contingents whenever there are decisions being made. So it's so much harder when you have more people in um, 
arguably, I guess, a more diverse group of people, uh, it's so much harder to to galvanize around anything in particular. So it doesn't seem like it's very difficult right now with this issue because it seems like the the momentum is there for the entire country. So I, I, I'd be surprised. And, it, and this is one of those issues that is <laughs> it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. <laughs> and given what what happened to Drew Brees, like if someone in your locker room is like, we're going to make this stand for social justice for for nothing more than fear, I think there'd be so many people who would just like get in line. So we'll see what happens when the season comes up. The Ring Around NFL Show is brought to you by FanDuel. This season, there's a brand new way to play fantasy football on FanDuel, introducing Best Ball Contest, the simplest way to play season-long fantasy. In a Best Ball Contest, there's no lineups to set, no waivers to claim, and no trades to make. Simply draft 20 players at the start of the season. Then every week, you'll automatically get points for your top nine performers at set positions. At the end of the season, the teams with the top scorers take home the cash. I love best ball. There's less management. It's just a completely different strategy. No waiver wire. It's just a completely different fantasy experience. And and from my perspective, probably the best one. I love it. Best ball contests have a max 12 player max. So don't worry if you're not a seasoned fantasy pro. And if you want to try your hand at best ball, you can enter a free contest or play for as little as a dollar. If you're new to FanDuel, you can even get a 20% bonus on your first deposit, up to 500 bucks, when you sign up at FanDuel.com slash RingerFantasy. So be sure to go to FanDuel.com slash RingerFantasy to start drafting for best ball at FanDuel. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. You could get in a crash, people could get hurt or killed, but let's take a moment to look at some surprising statistics. Almost 29 people in the United States die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year. Drunk driving can have a big impact on your wallet too. You could get arrested and incur huge legal expenses. You could possibly even lose your job. So what can you do to prevent drunk driving? Plan a safe ride home before you start drinking, designate a sober driver, or call a taxi. If someone you know has been drinking, take their keys and arrange for them to get a sober ride home. We all know the consequences of driving drunk, but one thing's for sure. You're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the actual season. I'm curious your perspective as someone who has played defensive back in the NFL it seems to me that defenses are going to be flat-footed early in the season, just having 14 padded practices and just how different that might be. You played in the league in 2011 where, where they didn't get an off-season, but it wasn't like this. Uh, what does this season look like? Just from a, a early season kind of defense standpoint, schematically, I mean, when, when, when we fire up this season on September 10th, it looks like what because of, of everything that's happened the last couple of months? Honestly, I think it's going to be hard to tell the difference of the on-field product. I think we'll be hypersensitive, so maybe we'll be able to pick or pick some things out. But by and large, people who are in the NFL know how to play football. Um, maybe the schemes will be a little bit simpler, but that is nothing. That's not going to yeah. grab the eye of the average fan or even the average media member. They won't notice that there is only one check in this uh coverage and there's not three checks as it would normally be so i don't think that we'll be able to notice it very much but i do think whenever you shorten uh the practice schedule or opportunities it uh exacerbates the current problems for bad teams and which works to the benefit of good teams you go back to 11 uh, you look at the the names who were who made the playoffs and the teams who did well those seasons like it was established coaches established 
well-run organization. So it's just, I think there's less room for variance. So uh, we'll see the Ravens do well, the Steelers will do well, the the Patriots will do well in this circumstance. People who have uh, proven to be efficient and smart with their time in the past will be efficient and smart uh, uh, with even less time this year. When you talk about just being efficient and smart, how can a coach be efficient when it's 14 padded practices? Is that, is that just... I mean, I, I don't even know. I mean, how, how do you jam 14? How, how do you jam, you know, what would have started in May into 14 padded practices? I guess I would ask it from the other direction. It's like, what do you need to cover? Right. What do you need to teach your, your players? I think so much of that time, and then I think I know, so much of that time is installing and reinstalling things that we know. Like, we actually spend the full day installing cover one in the, um, in the off-season right. workouts, a coverage that everyone knows. <laughs> and then when we, and then we get to training camp and we install it again. So I think so much of those practices is about the nonsense of making guys tough and like, we're going to, we're going to make you hurt yeah. because that makes you, that makes you a, a tougher person. Like I, I think this, there's a sorting process. You don't make it to the NFL by being soft. You don't make it to the NFL by not understanding simple concepts. So I honestly think that so much of that other time was, was filler, <laughs> you know, it, it was meant to keep guys busy, keep right. guys out of trouble and that sort of stuff. I, I honestly don't think it's going to be that hard to um, install all the things that you want to install. Obviously veteran teams have a, an advantage because they know it like the back of their hands, but even rookies, like they know cover one, cover four, cover three. They know simple blitzes. They've been reading their playbooks. Like, I don't think it's going to be that big. When you talk about efficiency and, I guess the filler, you could say, I'm curious your thoughts on Joe judge in New York, because he seems to be doing the, I'm establishing a culture here thing when there's really not that much time for it. Uh, he's, he, he seems to be doing the, we're going to, we're going to make it tough kind of thing. Uh, do, do players respond to that? Is it also, I mean, there's a case you made that it's just noise anyway. And that, that when you, right. you know, put on the pads in September, not, it doesn't matter if you're a hard ass or not. And this is all theater. But if you're right. playing for a guy like Joe Judge, how do players just take that? Do they roll their eyes? What's the, the emotion there? I mean, uh, no coach is perfect. So yeah. I think that the, the players will give some leniency to someone who's saying the type of things that Joe judge is saying and doing the things that Joe judge is doing. If he is proving that he brings some value in some other way, but by and large, it's just an isolation, this uh, kind of um, little giant style stuff that they're trying to pull or like uh, remember the Titans yeah. practice schedule. They're trying to pull by and large players roll their eyes at that because they're like, what? this is, this is nonsense. But if it comes with him, uh, putting them in the best situations to make plays, then they'll grow to respect and, and he'll grow and become more secure and not have to do things like that. I mean, the whole, the whole establishing culture is a funny thing because you can't really impose a culture on a group of people. Right. I mean, culture is something that kind of you cultivate given the word, like you, you build based on the personalities and the people you have there, just the same way you would build an offense to, to fit the skill set of your players. you, you develop a culture to fit the personalities on your team. So just coming in and being a hard ass, I mean, maybe that's the right thing for certain situations, but it's not always the right move. Real, real quick, I, I want to get into, you know, a couple of these head coaches have addressed the, the social justice aspect with their team in the last couple of days. And I'm curious how you think that works. Should this, you know, if you're a coach right now, if you're Matt Patricia or whomever, do you let the leaders in the locker room do it? Do players want to hear from their head coach that they they have the support in the social justice arena? What what is sort of the um, the process there? 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's different for each coach. Um, But I do think that, as I mentioned off the top, that smart leaders revel in opportunities like this. Right. Because if you think about um, the people in your life that you respect, care the most for and would and work the hardest for and do the most for, those are people who were there for you when things were tough. Those are people who who demonstrated um, that they really had your back. And I think that when something traumatic happens, everyone's guard is down to a degree and uh, advances in a relationship that would take months can take hours in a situation like that. So I, I think smart coaches would recognize this as an opportunity. And if it is something that they are knowledgeable, knowledgeable about and passionate about, then they, by all means, feel free to lead the meeting. If it's not, then let somebody else lead the meeting, meeting that, but show that you're engaged and show that you care and show that you want to learn. If for no other reason, then it will make your team better. It, yeah. it will absolutely make your team stick stronger together. And when adversity hits, uh, when you're digging down to try to find whatever you need to push through, like knowing that um, the people in the locker room care about you to that degree, I think is something that you can pull, that you can draw on to find that that extra little motivation. But maybe... I'm uh, a bit romantic about all that stuff. There obviously were uh, important moments in your career f- as far as off the field stuff, but did you, you, did you guys ever have a situation with any of your three teams where you address social justice um, in the locker room or was it just a different era back then? Oh no, we definitely, I mean, yeah. we had, yeah, these conversations all the time. That was one of those things that is good and bad about the locker room is that there almost are no rules on what you can and cannot right. talk about. And sometimes it, revolts um, sometimes it results in like racist and homophobic stuff and also mm-hmm. those lead to to people being brave enough to have the conversations and confront people about these sorts of things but the the dbs are always disproportionately black and also disproportionately outgoing and <laughs> aggressive <laughs> and so like it was always us in the middle of these arguments with uh with offensive linemen who we felt like world was, was a little bit more sheltered than the world that we experienced. So that, that happened all the time, honestly. Was it an education process was it, or was it, was it a little tense sometimes? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's both. Uh, I think, I mean, y- you know, football players don't have a problem with a little tension, a little confrontation, right. like that isn't necessarily a bad thing around some of these delicate issues that can get uh, a little uncomfortable, but yeah, there's definitely, confrontations and there was definitely tense discussions about these sorts of things. I, I remember being in Denver uh, when in the middle of a game, the defense on the other team, like when we were on special teams, defensive players on the other team were like telling us that our offensive linemen were saying things that were just offensive to, to black people. So like that led to something else in the locker room because we're like, we don't know if this was said, but like we have to bring this up because like you can do whatever you got to do to get them out of their game. But there's some things that <laughs> we just can't be on the same roster if if you're actually saying and doing these things. I don't know to the degree that any of this was true or false, but it, it led to some tense conversations in the locker room. Did you feel like the player, your teammates were listening in that in that circumstance? It just as far as just internalizing what you're saying, or were they kind of dismissing you? I mean, they denied it, so then we were there at that point, but it, we never heard that complaint again, and it didn't like it didn't tear our team apart. I think we went thirteen and three that year, so we were we were fine and it was 
yeah, it's like uh, you talk about distractions and back to the thing at the top, like this is just evidence that it's just the most nonsense thing ever. Because like I, I've been on teams where where guys had beef about like talking to the same woman. <laughs> like right. there's been real, real beef I've been on teams where guys parents died in the middle of the season. And there is like real actual things that you consider distractions and they show up and they perform because they're professionals. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And distraction culture, again, it's a catch-all for anything a team doesn't like, anything a coach doesn't like. I remember really early in my career, I remember when Bart Scott was with the Jets, he was in the locker room and, you know, that Jets team, there was always a media story and someone said, this is a distraction. And I remember him kind of just casually walking away and saying, you know, the only teams that are actually distracted are distracted by being crappy at football. Like, and that's, and that's, that's kind of how I feel about it. If you're a good team, everybody's rowing in the right direction and, right. and, and almost anything can be. Um, Mars Scott said crappy? I don't remember. I didn't want to put words in his mouth that he didn't say. This is nine years ago. But it's just, it's, I think that the locker room is a lot, I guess my point is the locker room is a lot more complicated um, than most of us who've never been in it think, I guess you could say. Um, and so that's that. Um, all right. So back to what the season looks like. I'm curious for Lamar Jackson, who, and you worked, you coached, excuse me, you played under John Harbaugh. This is a year where I think the narrative would be, can defenses catch up to Lamar Jackson? And I don't know if that can happen on Zoom exactly in May and June and July. And I've talked to some folks who think that maybe the fact that they've been able to watch more film on him could help. But I also think he crosses the line of scrimmage at 14 miles per hour and he he's the most accurate passer on some passes in, in football. So uh, there's that. Uh, if you were kind of handicapping what Lamar's season looks like from a scheme standpoint, from a defense's catching up standpoint, what does this look like? I mean, defense will be a little bit more comfortable with it because they've seen it before. Um, from a stat standpoint, like he'll regress because like what happened last year right. is just like impossible to happen. But that doesn't mean that he's regressed as a player. He'll he'll still progress as a player. But the important thing, I think, to understand about Lamar and there's so much confirmation bias when it comes to uh, analyzing Lamar, people who liked him from the beginning. Uh, and I'm one of those people probably guilty of overhyping him some, <laughs> maybe a tiny bit. I don't know, man. I mean, he was amazing. I don't think you could overhype Lamar Jackson right now. I, I mean, I'm with you, but I do think that he's not perfect, obviously, yeah. but the, the, the people who didn't like him oversell his shortcomings and don't acknowledge how special what he does is. So I, I think the important thing to understand about Lamar and the Ravens is it's not a gimmick. A gimmick is like one play or a couple of plays. It's like a well-developed offense with like counters. If you try to stop something and then counters to those counters. And the most, I think scary thing about this is if you play your defense against their zone reads, as well as possible. The best case scenario is a one-on-one -on -one with Lamar Jackson and one of your players. So like that is your defense working and maybe your guy tackles him five out of seven times, but those two times he might go for 20, 40, he might go to whole field for a touchdown. And that I think right. is the reason why you can't really stop this offense. It is a nightmare for defenses, quite frankly. You played for John Harbaugh did you see it coming that he'd be this adaptable and open to rearranging basically everything about his organization to make Lamar Jackson better? Did you see hints of that when you were there? Yes. And I don't think uh, you can give it all to, to coach Harbaugh. I right. think it's just a, yeah, I think it's just the organization. And I think right. coach Harbaugh definitely came in being a special teams coach, not being uh 
like having any particular offensive dogma that he just lived and died by, which is a nice place to be. But I think that he had that predisposition and then he came into an organization that I think cultivated that in him and helped him grow into a coach who was ready to actually be a coach and not a dictator as so many other coaches want to be. So I, I remember when he, his job was on the line in that final season with Flacco. And I remember just yeah. like being as outspoken as I could, as I possibly could be about how, no, <laughs> this is a really good coach who is adaptable. You're not going to find a better coach. So I was happy to see, what happened with Lamar Jackson and, and them uh, turn this into as great as it was. I, I think it'd be, it's hard to say that I saw this coming. I can't say I saw it coming, but I did like know that Lamar Jackson in Baltimore was going to work out. I didn't know he was going to be MVP in his second year, but I knew it was going to work. Yeah. It's, I, I think that it's equal parts, not surprising and just completely shocking depending on where <laughs> you were looking. I mean, it was just like, yeah. I knew he'd be good, but I didn't right. know he was going to make guys look like they were in high school in the second year. <laughs> yeah. Now to the to the question about figuring out how to stop him, like I, I watched all of his games several times from last year, and the two losses that they had were uh, the Chiefs and the Browns, and in those particular games, the Chiefs always play well offensively, mm-hmm. but the Browns play really well offensively, and like the stop Lamar Jackson, like I think that is important because their their team is so well integrated and the styles of play of the offense, defense, and special teams work well together. I think it you have to really play well offensively to play well defensively against Lamar Jackson in my mind. And the teams that didn't play well offensively, like the Steelers and one of the teams who were not great on offense, but played really well against the Ravens defensively. And I think mm-hmm. it's not because in watching the game, it's not because some special scheme it's because they had dogs. <laughs> like that's what it comes down to. Like you have to have a number of, of special players who you are comfortable putting in some really bad situations because you're going to have to compromise yourself in so many different ways. And you need people that are talented enough to overcome the, the compromises you put them. In. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this, the new CBA. Um, you know a lot about it. You, you've been on the inside of, of, of labor negotiations. So the vote happens at the very beginning of a, life-changing, globe-changing pandemic. And that was, people talked about that kind of late in the voting process that everyone kind of saw that there were going to be some problems on the horizon that may have had a little bit of an impact in the vote. But again, that's that's sort of unknowable. But now we know that the cap is going to be tied to revenue that is not going to be where the league thought it was or the union thought it was. There will be no fans or limited fans or 13,000 fans in some cities in the stands. So at least... Tens of millions of dollars will come out of the cap. Knowing what you know about the CBA, knowing what you know about the league, the future of team building for the next three, four years looks like what? I I don't think it'll be as impacted as we think it will be. I think the okay. NFL will, obviously they, they'll fall short of their revenue targets. But uh, remember during the lockout, one of the things that they did was uh, they called it smooth the cap. And I, I predict they'll do something like that again. Like it'd be unlikely that they go with like an NBA style thing where there's a glut of money in one year right. and you end up with the, with the KD warriors uh, that the NFL and the general managers won't allow that to happen. The coaches and the owners and the commissioner, it's something they don't have. So I don't think honestly that it'll be too different from what we've come to expect. And you saw like big deals are still getting handed out. So for yeah. all this stuff of people being afraid to to pay guys, like, 
good players are getting paid. So I, I honestly don't think that we'll see much of an impact. Maybe the growth of the salaries will be slightly smaller than we're accustomed to, but they're still going to be getting paid and, uh, and they won't let it be a big shock where the, the cap just dips. Cause that'll, that's not good for anybody. It's not good for the player. It's not good for the league. It's not good for anybody. They won't let it get to that point. A few more for you. When you look at the Mahomes contract, having been again on the inside of the, of the NFLPA and, you know, going through it all, anything surprise you about that deal? Or is that, it, was it the, the sticker shock and the number a bit surprising to you? What, what, how did you process that deal when you saw it? Yeah, I mean, I think the sticker shock was a lot of years, you know, and a lot of dollars. <laughs> so I, yeah. I, we, we hadn't seen a contract like that. And then when we dug into it, it wasn't uh, as Mahomes, friendly as the big number would suggest so i mean i I don't think the contract was all that surprising necessarily because if you look at what they wanted to accomplish and what mahomes wanted to accomplish everybody kind of got what they wanted out of this deal and i am given my union background i'm always want guys to get as much money as they possibly can but also i recognize that the value (laughs) of of one more million dollars when you're getting tens of millions of dollars is not near the value of being in a place that you're comfortable and happy and having a team that is built around you to to uh, let you succeed, which will only add to your happiness and comfort. So like I, prior to any player signing a deal, like I will always like take all the money, get all the money. And then once they sign a deal, if they're happy with it, then I'm happy with it. So like, I, I think Mahomes is in a great spot. He's going to be fine. And uh I'm happy that that he's going to be there with Andy Reid to not ruin what has been a magical two years for all of us, except for I guess Broncos fans. Yeah, Broncos <laughs> and, and the Raiders and Raiders. the Chargers who who right. need to who need, need to figure out maybe they can make like the World Cup and just draw divisions differently each year. <laughs> um, speaking of of Mahomes, is playing defensive back a different job now? I mean, like you have Kyler Murray. On, on passes over 30 yards last year, was it hitting 80% of them? I mean, it, it, this new generation, man, I, I, I wouldn't want to play cornerback. Is it, is it a different job when you watch it now, Dominic, and how has it changed? Um, I mean, it's gotten progressively harder since the inception of football. I feel like playing <laughs> cornerback is the one position that has not gotten any easier. And I think there were times when quarterback was getting harder and harder, but then we started changing the rules to make it a little bit easier for them. And it's, it's, much easier for receivers and it gets less less taxing for various people on the defense but what comes with that i think is is the value the value of the cornerback goes up the value of the defensive back is higher than it's ever been and people finally have come to the realization that coverage is more important than anything else on your defense and i think all that there's a um there's a scale effect kind of a give and take like if you're going to take all of this pressure which in uh, difficulty that comes with being a defensive back what comes with that is i think more rewards we just saw buddha baker get paid I, you talk about being surprised about a contract like i was that was a contract that, <laughs> that caught my eye because i, I know buddha's pretty good but like i was shocked but um yeah i'm not surprised when you look at the grand scheme of things the value of somebody who's versatile in that position last thing for you dominique when I was in, when I was a freshman in high school, I've told you the story, but the listeners need to hear it. When I was a freshman in high school, my mom went to University of Maryland. So we went to the Florida State-Maryland game. I believe you were a freshman in college. I sat next to your parents and your parents <laughs> said to me, and it was the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me, 
Are you a recruit? I do not look athletic. I am not built like an athlete, but it is the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me is to confuse me for a recruit. Why are your parents the nicest people on earth? You don't know them. They, 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 they played you. They just scammed you right there. They, they fluffed you up with a little compliment. They're really very, very mean. No, they're, they're good people. I, uh, I mean, you, you, you're selling yourself short. They might have thought you could <laughs> get something. I don't know. Play quarterback. I was a little heavier back then. Maybe they thought I was just a project. The fridge was going to coach me up. <laughs> oh yeah, Ralph. Ralph had an affinity for for, for thick guys. Hey, that was the or- that was the Orange Bowl year. So that was that was a good year for me. So we um I was supposed to be redshirting, but then we got to the last two games. We needed to win them both to win the championship. And that Florida State game, our, our corners got torched. So my my um my redshirt got torched right along with it. So then I I started um against Clemson and and we won that game and I got player of the game and then we beat NC State. So that was the the best thing ever burn my red shirt got to stay healthy and, and actually be a part of an ACC championship because no one wants to be on the team and not actually playing absolutely well you were you were a maryland legend already that year and uh <laughs> you, you you continue to be a maryland legend dominic foxworth this is one of the best conversations ever had on this podcast thank you so much thank you it wasn't very fun though next time can we can we have more fun and make some jokes like i'm i'm a fun guy I mean, we ended, we ended with, with your parents thinking I was a college football recruit. That's the funniest thing that's ever been said on this. Thank you so much, Dominique. Anytime, buddy. This has been the Ring NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. You could get in a crash. People could get hurt or killed, but that still doesn't stop everyone. You could get arrested, you could incur huge legal expenses, and you could possibly even lose your job. We all know the consequences of driving drunk, but one thing's for sure. You're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober, get pulled over.